listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled The Two Bees, Part One. Hello, my radio friends. Welcome to the program today. Have you ever received a letter addressed to you but your name has been misspelt? Most people don't care very much if their double letter is missing or if an I is replaced by a Y. However, small spelling mistakes can have huge consequences. One example of this happened in 1962 with the space rocket Mariner 1. Mariner 1 was launched on July 22, 1962. It was intended to do an unmanned flyby of Venus to collect scientific data, but an error in the computer codes caused it to veer off course. This was NASA's first planetary mission, and it was losing to Russia in the space race. As it turns out, a misplaced hyphen seems to have caused the rocket's trajectory to be off course. A NASA range safety officer wanted to avoid any possible crashes back down to Earth, so 293 seconds into the launch he blew it up. The coding blunder cost NASA the equivalent of 962 million dollars. There were conflicting reports, some of which blamed a misplaced decimal and others saying a hyphen caused the error in trajectory. Luckily, Mariner 2, a backup rocket, was already built and waiting just in case disaster struck. That one completed the mission successfully but Mariner 1 would always be remembered for its critical error. Science fiction writer Arthur C. Clarke called it the most expensive hyphen in history. There are a number of names in the Bible that are quite similar, such as Belshazzar and Belteshazzar, Zalmon and Salmon, Amos and Amoz, and Ahab and Rahab. But today I want to focus on one of two biblical characters with names beginning with B. They are Barabbas and Barnabas. Their names might be similar, but their characters very dissimilar. Barabbas was a man who lived in Jerusalem, Judea, around AD 29 during the time of the Roman Empire. Barabbas was a violent man, a criminal, a thief and a murderer. The punishment for his crimes was the death sentence in that he was to be crucified, a common punishment at that time. This meant that he was to be nailed to a wooden cross until he would die of exhaustion and suffocation. Beyond these details, the Bible does not tell us very much about Barabbas. So the story I'm going to tell you now is an interpretation of what may have taken place. 
Often the Romans would force a criminal to make the cross that they were going to die on. This may have been to cause the criminal some mental suffering to go with the physical suffering that was going to occur later. Because while they made it, they would be thinking about what was going to happen. And as Barabbas picked up the wood to make his cross, possibly splinters became caught in his hands and he thought about it when he would have his bare back against the timber, against the rough splintery beams. As Barabbas took the long, rough, jagged nails and hammered them into the shorter cross piece attaching it to the long upright beam, he thought about when he was going to be uh, having his hands nailed to the wood. As he tried to make the beam a bit smoother, as though it would somehow make the experience less painful, he suddenly felt the sharp point of a spear in his side. What do you think you're doing? boomed the voice of the Roman soldier. You keep that rough bit there, because you're going to suffer on that cross. Having reluctantly completed his cross, Barabbas was left in his cell alone with his thoughts, not knowing when his time would come. With every moment that passed, he knew the time drew a moment closer to the unimaginable agony and slow, inevitable death that waited for him. This depressing reality served to feed his thoughts of self-pity and sorrow. However, Barabbas' sorrow was not one of a man who'd come to a point of being sorry for what he had done. His sorrow was the fact that he'd been caught. He thought again and again about how he'd been caught and that if he'd only done things differently, he might have got away with his crimes. You know, this can be our thought when we're caught out. When we're punished for something we've done, we think, ah, if only I was more careful. If only I had done things differently. Our sadness is usually at being caught, not for what we've done. And while this thought is in our minds, we can never be forgiven because we're not truly sorry for what we've done. The other thought that was continually coming to Barabbas was the date. It was the 14th day of the first month, Nisan. The reason Barabbas was thinking about the date is because the next day, the 15th of Nisan, was a special public holiday called Passover. Now Barabbas had always liked public holidays, never more than he did at that point, because no one gets crucified on a public holiday. Conditions in the prison cell were horrible. There were no toilets, so the stench was unbearable. The floor was filthy and rough, so sleeping was difficult. However, despite this, Barabbas still thought that it was much nicer than the fate that awaited him. He knew that if he could manage to make it through the day, it meant that he would have at least a few days more to live. Although this was still a very bleak prospect, it was something to hold on to. In desperate situations, 
people will find even small things to hold on to. For while there is life, there is hope. Anyway, Barabbas, being lost in his thoughts of self-pity and survival, did not take much notice of the crowd that had been gathering outside the prison in the courtyard that particular Friday morning. The people had been gathering for some time. Suddenly, Barabbas was snapped out of his thoughts. The hair on the back of his neck stood up in fear. He heard the crowd for the first time. They were all yelling and crying out, saying, Give us Barabbas! Now fully focused on every noise of the crowd, Barabbas heard them cry out angrily, Crucify him! Crucify him! In that instant, the little bit of hope that he'd been holding on to was ripped away from him. He felt that he was not even going to see the day out. He felt gutted and completely empty. As he sat there in the cell, he was thoroughly depressed. He was not startled as he heard the sound of the Roman soldiers' sandals marching towards his cell, a sound that usually made him jump. Having lived the life of a criminal, always avoiding the soldiers, he did not even look up as he heard them rattle the key and swing open the rusty cell door. He did not even protest as he normally did when they told him to get up. As he was marched out of the prison with a Roman soldier on each side of him, he had resolved in his mind that this was it. This would be his end. As he walked out, he caught his first glimpse of the crowd. The crowd was very large and everyone seemed extremely agitated. Barabbas was surprised by this. He knew because of his crimes that he was unpopular, but he did not think he was hated so much that so many would come. Once he drew nearer, he experienced a feeling that was foreign to him. He was actually pleased that he had a large armed Roman soldier on each side of him, because he thought that if the crowd got hold of him, he'd be torn to shreds. Then something unexpected happened. One of the soldiers undid the chains that bound his hands and feet. Barabbas stood unshackled and looked at him, dumbfounded. The soldier spoke and said, Go on, Barabbas, get out of here. Barabbas still stood there. He had no idea what was happening. Move it, Barabbas. You've been set free. Still confused, Barabbas hesitatingly moved away from the soldier, but he was still afraid of the crowd. However, as he walked toward the crowd, he noticed they were not even looking at him. He could see that they were stirred up, that they were angry, but their anger was not toward him. So he quietly moved into the crowd unnoticed. While he wanted to get as far away from the soldiers as possible in case they changed their minds, he tried to see who the crowd was focused on. As he moved around, he saw a man standing in front of the crowd. 
The flesh of the man's back was torn open from being whipped. As Barabbas looked at him, he realised, I know that man. I've seen him before. That man is Jesus. Now Barabbas was even more confused. Although he had never met Jesus, he'd heard about him. Everyone had. He was the most talked-about person in town. There were all sorts of stories about the things Jesus had done. There were stories about lepers who had been healed and blind men that could see. There were even stories that a man had died and four days later Jesus had caused him to live again. And Jesus was known to be a good man. Barabbas did not know what had been happening, but the Bible has recorded the events in great detail. On the previous night, Jesus had been taken and arrested by the Jewish religious leaders. They had arrested him because he had said that he was the Son of God, and they considered this blasphemy and deserving of death according to their Jewish religious law. In those days the Jews were under the rule of the Romans. To make the judgment official, Jesus had been taken to the Roman authorities the next morning, the morning of the 14th. With the commotion of Jesus, such a well-known person being arrested, a crowd had begun to gather to see what was going to happen. They delivered Jesus to Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor in Jerusalem at the time. And they said, oh, We caught this man trying to mislead the people and telling them not to pay taxes to Caesar. He is also claiming that he is a king. So Pilate, who acted as a judge, conducted a trial to find out Jesus' guilt, according to the Roman law. As the trial proceeded, many accusations were brought against Jesus, but to it all he answered nothing. These proceedings caused Pilate to marvel. He'd been a judge for many years, so he'd seen many trials. However, there were two things that amazed him. First of all was the extremely obvious fact that Jesus was innocent. From what the people were saying about him, there was not a single piece of evidence that could prove Jesus guilty of any law-breaking. However, there was something that amazed him even more. He had never seen a man remain silent while being accused, especially when the accusations were so clearly false. We're going to have a little break and go on straight afterwards. soul is lost, so lonely and so cold, just like a lamb that has strayed from the fold across 
Across the barren waste of sin I roam O gentle shepherd, hear my cry and lead me home The hours go by Frightened wings of flight While wolves of hell Are waiting for the night To claim the soul That wandered from the foe I cry and save my soul Oh gentle shepherd Hear my lonely cry And in thy cool green pasture Let me lie Still clear waters lead thou me, O gentle shepherd, say forevermore with thee. So over there was Pilate, the judge, strangely moved the fact that Jesus hadn't spoken a word in his own defense. Just think about it. When somebody brings an accusation against you, doesn't it stir up something in you that makes you want to defend yourself? This need to defend ourselves is even stronger when the accusations are brought against us are not true. Nevertheless, Jesus did not speak up, fulfilling the words that were spoken of him by Isaiah in Isaiah 53, 7, many hundreds of years before. It says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter. So Pilate found himself in quite an awkward situation. He was the judge, so his job was to see justice done. Clearly, for justice to be served, Jesus must be released. However, as governor, his job was also to keep the peace. And the religious leaders that delivered Jesus to him had agitated the people. A large crowd had gathered and it seemed to be growing larger by the minute. They were stirred up so much that Pilate feared that releasing Jesus would cause a riot. If that was to happen, word would get back to the Roman Empire, Emperor rather, and that would not be good for him. Then Pilate had an idea. 
Realising the time of the year, Pilate knew that there was a tradition of releasing a Jewish prisoner each Passover. Thinking about the prisoners who were in custody at the time, he decided to offer the people a choice. Standing before the agitated crowd, Pilate waved his arms in an attempt to hush them so that he could be heard. Which prisoner would you like me to release to you this year? I can release to you Barabbas, who has stirred up trouble amongst you, who's stolen from you and has even committed murder, or I can release to you this man, Jesus, who's done nothing wrong. The crowd, being stirred up and led by the religious leaders who had arrested Jesus, shouted back, Give us Barabbas! Pilate was astonished at this and replied to the crowd, Then what do you want me to do with Jesus? Their cry was quick and unanimous. Crucify him! Crucify him! These were the words that Barabbas had previously heard shouted when he was in his cell. Barabbas had thought that they were crying out his name because they hated him, but they were crying out for his release. When he heard the cries of crucify him, he thought that it was his death, but it was for Jesus. So Jesus was whipped, taken and crucified, along with two other criminals. Nothing is said about his cross. We know that there's not enough time for Jesus to make one, so it's reasonable to conclude he was crucified on the one Barabbas had made. The Bible makes no further mention of Barabbas after he was released, but perhaps he may have stayed around to see what happened to the man who took his place. He would have winced as he saw the Roman soldiers drive the massive nails through Jesus' hands, remembering back to when he himself drove the nails into that very same piece of wood when he made that cross. Perhaps he would have been thinking, that should have been me, as the nails were driven into Jesus' feet. He would have looked at Jesus hanging on the cross, a man each side of him, and thought, that's my cross, that's my punishment, that man is dying in my place. And if Barabbas had been close enough, he would have heard Jesus speak while he was hanging on the cross. Having remained silent throughout his trial and through all the pain and humiliation he had endured, Jesus finally spoke. Considering his circumstances and all he'd been through, the words he uttered make the most remarkable sentence ever spoken. Jesus prayed to his Father in heaven and said, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Such is Jesus' love for us, that even in the midst of all the pain and injustice, he cared for the ones who were hurting him. The Bible doesn't record anything further about Barabbas the murderer, but it goes on to record more about Jesus who was murdered for Barabbas, and for you, and for me.
What a sacrifice to purchase our freedom. Jesus took the punishment meant for Barabbas. Jesus took our punishment as well. And I want to say, thank you, Lord. Was Jesus' sacrifice a wasted effort regarding Barabbas? Well, the Bible doesn't say. But a more important question is, has he wasted his effort, his life, regarding you? I sincerely hope not. Well, in a few weeks, I'll share with you about the other B name, Barnabas. But I leave you with the question, has Jesus wasted his time and life on you or not? You must answer that question yourself. Through his blood I now am saved